uh, open up while I read it to you, but um, this is our scripture for this evening. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had all heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Father, I pray uh, tonight that you would um, reveal to us the treasures of your word and, and the, the glory of your son Jesus and the story. And I pray that um, the response in our hearts would be one of gratitude and worship at the work of salvation that you, that you accomplished in your son. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So... Um, as I was reading this, uh, I was I was reminded of just how much depth the scripture holds. Uh, I've picked up a, a new um, habit of drinking tea lately, and and so if you're drinking good quality tea, you can actually get several um, drinks out of the same leaves, but eventually it runs out. And most good stories are kind of like that. Like most stories, you read once and it was good, but but that's about it. But the best story. You can read again and again, and they're really good, but even the best stories have their limit. Even the best stories kind of lose their, their potency after you've read them beyond the first time. But what I'm amazed by the scripture is that it seems to work the exact opposite, that the more you read, the more that you see. And, and, and the more that you see, the more you realize how amazing our God and who this story is about actually 
is. And so my pray, prayer for you as I was preparing the scripture is that as I preach it, that you would see more of who God is. Because if you've been around the church for any Christmas season before, this is probably a very familiar story to you. But my hope is not that you'll see a brand new story, but that in this story you will see something more of God. And so one thing that really stood out for me this time as I was reading it is this question. Why the shepherds? So as you're reading the story and you're thinking about the announcement of the Son of God becoming a human being, the King of the earth who will rule forever when he comes to restore all things, who would you announce that to? Who would be the first person you tell about this incredible royal birth? And it was the shepherds. But why the shepherds? And I'm sure if you've heard this story before, you've heard reasons for it. Uh, I know for me growing up, it was always pointed out that the shepherds were kind of the outcasts of society. They weren't rich. They weren't wealthy. And so this is showing that the heart of God doesn't put the same favoritism that human beings put on each other, that he ignores some of these other things that human being values and that he values all people. And I think there's a truth to that. When you see Jesus in the gospel, he's always reaching out to the outcast, the poor, the oppressed, the hurting, those in need. Uh, and in Luke, the Gospel of Luke especially seems to stress that, that um, nature of Jesus. But I think there's something more, because if you think about it, all the people in the city were kind of oppressed. They were driven out of their homes to do a census by a conquering government, right? It, surely it couldn't have been that hard to find someone who was poor or oppressed within Bethlehem. Was there something special about the shepherds? And now, me asking that question, obviously... My answer to that is going to be yes. But I want you to think on that as we look again and freshly at the story. Because what you have here at the beginning of Luke is that the Holy Spirit is drawing all these themes from the Old Testament. And what he's saying is that all these themes that they, people have been waiting for in the Old Testament are finally going to reach their conclusion. So we are very familiar with this story. We know that Jesus wins in the end that he accomplishes our salvation. But I want you to put yourself in the first century before we have the end of the story and think about the history of the human race at this point. We've been created by the very hands of God and we were made for a relationship with him. And yet because of our own selfishness, we rebelled against God and we brought all this evil and violence into the world. And yet even that wasn't the end of our story because time and time again, God would come and offer mercy to human beings. He would offer them a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. But every single chance, it seemed that human beings would choose to reject God again and again and again. So if you're at this point in the story of the Bible and you're reading this and you're, you're hearing the stories of the Old Testament, you've got to ask the question, well, what's left for human beings? What's it going to take for us to turn around, to stop rebelling against God, to stop committing evil and violence and, and murdering each other again and again, uh, and, and finally set, set things right again? And, and so this is a particularly dark point in human history. But the thing is that, uh, that the Bible was written to remind us of two, two truths. One is this, that the hope for humanity didn't rest in human beings. And two, the hero of the story wasn't done writing the story yet. 
And so time and time again in the Old Testament, you see these allusions and these promises and these foreshadows that God is actually working on something. And he is going to turn this story around. So there's a couple of themes I want to draw out for you. Obviously, I can't draw all of them out from the Old Testament because we would be here until Christmas. Uh, and that, that would not work out very well. But there's a couple that I particularly want to draw out for you. And the first one is just this idea of peace and war. You see, when God created earth, he placed human beings within this tranquil garden where we were at peace with each other and at peace with God. But when we chose our own desires over our relationship with God and rebelled against him, one of the first acts that we see committed after that is that a brother murders another brother. And from that point forward, the history of the human race is one of violence and warfare where we kill and murder each other to achieve our own ends. And we follow along in God's people. One of the things he always promises is that with obedience to him comes peace. And so you trace the history of, of Israel and you see that when they were following God, they were given periods of peace and tranquility, but when they rebelled against him, they were in war. But eventually they continued to rebel to the point where they were conquered and taken away. Which leads us to another theme throughout the whole of the Old Testament. One of exile and the promise of a true home. We were created for earth before the fall. We were placed in a garden where we found true home and true rest. But since the moment we rebelled against God, we were kicked out of our true home. And the history of the human race is one of wandering and exile in search of a home, but never finding a place to be. And you see that in the history of Israel, once again, where they were, you have the founder, Abraham, who was constantly wandering with the promise of a home, but not one he achieved in his lifetime. Then Israel rescued from slavery and on their way to this promised land, this promised home, but because they rebelled against God, they had to wander in exile for 40 years. When they finally got that home, they still continued to rebel against God. So in that home, they didn't have peace, and they were eventually taken away. Yes, God brought them back after the exile, but even then, they weren't the owners of that land anymore. They were conquered. They were more the tenants, the leases. They were, the land was owned by another empire. And so even then, you did not have a true home. And so the history of humanity is one in search for a home and yet never finding it, always in exile. And with that, too, is the story of God as our salvation. You see, um, there are two people in the Old Testament by the name of Yehoshua, which means God, our salvation. One of them in that first exile, Joshua, leading the people into a promised land, but that Yehoshua didn't lead them to a true salvation because Israel continued to exile. The second one we see in the book of Zechariah is the high priest of Israel. Um, but that high priest on returning from the exile from Babylon, he, he in the book of Zechariah was described as having these impure priestly garments. But God would clothe him with righteous and clean ones. And so both of these people point to the fact that God is the salvation for his people. And not just Joshua, but that phrase, God our salvation, Yahweh our salvation, is repeated again and again in the Proverbs and the Psalms and the writings. The idea is that if you are one of God's people, he is your source of salvation. But how is he your salvation? And this is the main theme that I think will answer our question. 
If you look at the theme throughout the Old Testament, you see this pattern of a firstborn and a lamb. You see, when Abraham had his first, when he had his son of promise, Isaac, he was told to sacrifice Isaac, to bring him up onto a mountain and sacrifice him. But as he was doing it, God stopped him and he provided him with a lamb to sacrifice in place of his son. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see this pattern repeated. When Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt, they were told to sacrifice a lamb and use the blood to paint over the door. And then when an angel would come that night and kill every firstborn in Egypt, they would be spared because the lamb was put in the place of their firstborn son. And from then on out, Israel was told to sacrifice a lamb so that it would take the punishment of their sins so they could have a relationship with God despite being sinners. But the thing with the lamb was, despite it being sacrificed year after year, it never solved the root problem that human beings, left to their own devices, always choose evil over God. And therefore, were always making themselves the enemy of God. And so... In the very first story, we see this promise that God is going to provide a lamb and a sacrifice. But when we get to the end of the Old Testament, all of these stories still haven't reached their ending. And so the Old Testament is really the story in search of an ending. And that's where we pick up once again in Luke. And with these themes in mind, I want you to hear this story again. And so... And so let me read a couple of these lines once again from the stories. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So in this one story, you see this promise of peace being fulfilled. And how is it being fulfilled? Well, it just so happens it's being fulfilled by a boy born in a family who was kicked out of their home for this census, who was found in an inn, they even had no place to lay his head except in the feeding trough. And so that leads us to the next question. You have peace, you have exile, and how is God going to accomplish this peace? And why did he invite the shepherds? Well, if you're paying attention, what you'll notice is who else to invite to the birth of a lamb than the shepherds? You see, what the Holy Spirit is trying to say through the story is that that promised sacrifice, that promised lamb, was this boy. All the other lambs at this point that human beings had used to atone for their sin didn't do the job. Instead, they were promised that a better, more perfect, and eternal sacrifice was coming. And what the Holy Spirit is saying here is that this boy is the sacrifice. And to top it off, by the way, if you hadn't caught on to the theme, in verse 21 we see that the name of this boy is Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And so I know this is a cliche, um, but it's a cliche with an important truth in it, and that is this. The story of Jesus' birth is so important 
because it reminds us of Easter. The story of Jesus' birth is so important because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and if you think about all that God had to accomplish to achieve the birth and the life of his son Jesus here, think of turning the hearts of emperors, of, 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 of convincing the emperor of the greatest empire of the world, Rome, to, to have a tax so that this family would be put into the, the city of Bethlehem, which long ago he promised the savior of humanity would be born in. And not only that, but so many people would be born there, he would not have enough space, so this boy would be born in the feeding trough. And then he would go out to the shepherds in the field and invite them to the birth so that we would know that the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world was born that day. All of that, and you wonder, wow, why did God do all of this? And all the other things that had to take place in order for the birth of Jesus, turning the heart of the Persian Empire to return the people of Israel back to the Promised Land. Even before that, the giving of all of these miraculous births in the Old Testament of Isaac to Abraham in his old age, the uh, all these other miraculous turning of events to get to this point in history. And I'm reminded of this truth that that I remember reading recently. Did you know that? Out of all the miracles of the Bible that we see God perform, out of speaking the universe into existence, parting the Red Sea, flooding the earth, routing whole armies without a battle ever being fought, and you know that there is only one thing that is described in the Bible as the power of God. In the New Testament, Romans and Corinthians and a couple other places, there is one thing that gets described as the power of God, and that is the gospel. In other words, it's saying that this powerful God who can speak the whole universe into existence, when it comes to saving the human beings that he loves, he does not hold back. He will turn the hearts of emperors. He will set stars in the sky. He will send his own son to become a human being, to live a perfect life, to die in our place, and to be born again, defeating death for good. That's how much he will do to save his chosen people and those he loved. So when we celebrate Christmas this year and the amazing miracle that God became a human being so that he could live a perfect life, that he could take our sin in our place and give us back his righteousness, and that he would die in our place and be born again and raised again for our sake, this is why Jesus became a man. And so this Christmas, this is what I want you to remember and I want you to celebrate. And, and that leaves this question. What do we do in response to this amazing, powerful God who holds nothing back to save those that he loves? And I think you can see the response in Mary and in the shepherds. It's really the only appropriate response. To treasure in your heart all that God has done for you and for your salvation, and to respond in worship. So that's my hope for us today as we close out this time of worship together, that when you go back to your families, that you would celebrate the miraculous gospel that, that God has accomplished through his son Jesus together. Um, and so I'm going to close us in prayers, and then we will close our time of worship together in song. Father, thank you so much for 
literally moving the heavens and the hearts of emperors and, and all of history so that you might save us from our own evil actions and that we might um, be restored to you. I pray that we would make much of your son Jesus during this season. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you.